0: See you. Welcome back everyone, and for today I actually have my friend Stacy join me to discuss Major Briggs, and I'll hand the mic over to her so she can explain herself further.
1: Hey, good to be here. My journey into Twin Peaks was probably a little different than a lot of people's. I did not particularly like that genre of television, and I was, I think at the same time I was like a Dr. Quinn medicine woman person, so definitely not. My brother was working in Hollywood, and he told me and my mom, you've got to watch this show. It's the only thing anybody in Hollywood is talking about. So my my mom and I started watching the show, the pilot, when it aired, and... For the first, uh, we just kept saying, okay, this is weird. Next commercial, going to stop watching. And then, oh, this is really weird. Next commercial, we're going to stop watching. But we didn't. By the time Cooper showed up, we were like, okay, this is interesting. And then we got totally hooked and started recording the episodes. And And it was completely unlike anything I had ever watched, completely unlike anything that's happened since, but it definitely affected my future TV watching. I had never seen anything by Lynch. uh, And honestly, I've only seen Twin Peaks related Lynch stuff at this point. So I'm, I'm probably more of a Frostian than a Lynchian, which probably makes me a little different also than a lot of the fandom.
0: With that in mind, though, uh, the fact that you're so well-versed with the Mark Frost books actually makes you perfect for this type of episode.
1: Yeah, and I really enjoyed the books, and I take them with a bit of a grain of salt because I know Lynch had nothing to do with them, so they were purely Frost. So are they canon or not? I don't know, but I very much enjoy them.
0: I feel like the best part relative to Major Briggs, and this actually is a good starting point for both for him relative to The Secret History and for the original series, is that in The Missing Pieces, when we first see him read the Book of Revelations with Betty Briggs, because the thing is that I actually looked up the Bible verses, and I think Lynch was actually very deliberate to show what Briggs was reading, just because it sets the tone of who he is and how he views the world. The first one, and actually for the record, I'm reading this from a New Living Translation Bible, not a Catholic one. So it'll probably be different from what we see in The Missing Pieces.
1: And also for the record, I have not seen The Missing Pieces in a long time. So this is the part of the podcast where that's going to fall squarely on you. Although I will converse.
0: Oh, that's fair enough. The uh, first one starts with Revelations 11.3 and it's under the two witnesses. And it says, I will appoint my two witnesses. They will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the Earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. After Bobby and Laura come back up from the basement. And then this is actually under Revelations uh fourteen, nineteen, where Major Briggs says... The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city. The blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 600 stadia. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the last seven plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. So I feel like there's a lot to unpack with both of these. Because one, in terms of who Briggs is as a person, he definitely picks a weird way to unwind. I feel like reading the Book of Revelations after a day of his type of work is probably not the best mindset. But yeah, there's also a lot about doubles and fire in these as well. I think this is what Lynch gravitated to.
1: And horses.
0: Yeah, there's so much like to unpack that in terms of who Major Briggs is and the type of stuff that he was reading even like in his off time.
1: A hundred percent, I think that that was, those passages were deliberate. I mean, they clearly fit thematically. Yeah, I think Major Briggs, um, one of the reasons I really like him as a character is that he seems to be kind of a contradiction. In My very favorite character is Albert, and I think that The fact that Albert is a a big pile of contradiction as well is one of the reasons, and that's why I think I like Briggs. He's very, very hard to pin down, especially from the beginning to the end of the first season. Like, he doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I love watching the development. And then as you find out more about him, he makes a lot more sense.
0: I feel like that's when Mark Frost, when he wrote The Secret History, he wanted to perfectly explain and raise more questions about Major Briggs because in the case of season one he's definitely on edge because the first thing i think of him is that it's when bobby when he's sitting at the table and briggs is at least he's kind of trying he's trying to level with bobby but it seems like he's not really the best at it i think when he smacks the cigarette out of his hand or smacks the cigarette out of his uh, mouth uh you see the velocity that goes into uh at betty's meatloaf it's like that's a pretty that's a pretty hefty slap yeah it's like it seems like he's trying his best but he's also losing touch as well
1: yeah i mean i after that scene i thought he was one of the worst people on the show this guy is hitting his kid and i i did not like him initially and then ultimately grew to really love him which I think is kind of great. You know, that's one of the things I I very much like about him. Like you said, he seemed to be trying, but not really connecting and not really understanding how to get his point across. On the other hand, Bobby was kind of a trying kid, (laughs) which... I would never, I never advocate hitting a child, but I can see in Bobby's case where that instinct was there.
0: I'm fast forward, like, towards the end of The Secret History, but it does make me think that there's that part where it shows the transcript between Briggs and uh, Dougie Milford. And the thing that he's talking about is that he got so caught up with his work that he lost sight of uh, his family and a lot of the important parts of his life. There's a lot of part in, uh, and we see this through with Briggs in a couple of pivotal scenes, that love is a very prominent part for for his personality. And I think the fact that his uh, his work, while he was doing his job, it was also to the detriment of his family, particularly Bobby. And I think that's why in the first season, we see him where he's trying to level, but he's not really great at it. And then once we get to the season two premiere, He seems to manage to balance that family and work aspect and almost in that one fell swoop, but at least he's first starting to make things right
1: yeah and then you know we find out that tragically he didn't have a lot of time in that zone you know that he he met his end not terribly long after that but yeah no definitely liked the progress of that
0: the reason why i bring up that he could relatively speaking balance his family and work life is that he does have that incredible scene with bobby and if you ever read the behind the scenes it actually makes that scene so much more touching because when they did the shot reverse shot dana ashbrook the reason why he had tears coming down. Down his eyes was because he could see Don Davis he actually had his glasses on while he was reading it and he could see the tears coming down Don Davis's face so that actually made Dana Ashbrook cry and just the whole what was in the script versus what was in the final shot it just it, it's such a massive turn and it was all for the better too
1: no, I, that scene was one of my favorite of the original series. Just absolutely loved it. And it and it not only developed Major Briggs, but it also really helped to develop Bobby into the character he would ultimately become, particularly in third
0: season. I agree. It's actually a major reason for why uh, see, the season two premiere is actually my favorite episode, because it just has so many of those, character, those great character moments. But I would say that the one with uh, Major Briggs and Bobby Briggs is high up there on that list.
1: Can I tell you just a fun story about watching that episode? And it doesn't have anything specifically to do with Major Briggs, but my brother was in college at Duke at the time, and I was out of school. So I had been... I. They had replayed the entire first season over the summer and I had recorded it on my VHS tapes. So I went down to spend the weekend with my brother and we set up a, a VCR in his dorm's common room. And throughout the weekend, we had donuts and coffee and brie and baguettes and watched the entire first season, pie, and it was just this like whole group of college students that went, I, some of them stayed for the whole thing, some of them popped in and out. And then by the time the premiere... St- came on we were all watching it together and it was it was so much fun
0: yeah i was trying to do that for my rewatches of like trying to get like the like uh, coffee donuts pie uh, it really sets the tone so much better when you can do something like that. and with friends no less too
1: yeah and that was that was just fun because it was in a dorm and it was like some people were watching the first season for the first time others of us had watched it over and and I did by the way for the return premiere got Brie and baguette and coffee and donuts and I don't like cherry pie at all so I got apple pie I think that might be cheating but it is what it is and it all
0: fair So for me uh in the case of coffee I only drink it for Twin Peaks rewatches it doesn't do anything it doesn't caffeinate me I'm not really big on the taste but it just sets the tone right for my rewatches. So I I do get where you're coming from.
1: I am a coffee drinker, but I definitely uh, drank decaf that night.
0: There's definitely nights where that's death required. But uh, one of the other things I did want to mention about Briggs, though, is that early on in season two, after he has a scene with Bobby, is that when he goes to tell Cooper about his findings and his research, the first thing that he talks about is that how he views secrecies as being repugnant and any society, it can just collapse in on itself. And that there's definitely a lot to unpack with that. But before you, you know, get to that, I did want to mention is that You know, he talks about how he holds these oaths, uh, how he adheres to them because he took this oath early on. And so he only discloses what he absolutely needs to to Cooper. So we do get something that makes Cooper feel much more important to the role of Twin Peaks, but also shows that Major Briggs is definitely a very multifaceted man
1: and more important kind of behind the scenes, so to speak than the character at least appeared initially and we know that come the return it turns out that he's definitely a more key character than we might have known.
0: Coming back to the idea of his oaths is that one of my uh, friends and co-workers she actually talked about how important it was that Major Briggs was seen pretty much only wearing his uniform for the most part unless he absolutely had to wear something else and she talked about how the side he was on that it is good but it is also primarily about order as well and she said that this actually pertains to del cooper as well where They're like both men of uniform and this is sort of a thing that drives them in like a at least a subconscious way to kind of do what they do what they feel is right for the world
1: yeah I mean so many times uh, multiple times Coop mentions and it's sort of in the words I'm an agent of the FBI and that seems to be an identity for him more than a job and and Briggs clearly the same that's his identity
0: strange enough there's I feel like there's a lot more about Briggs after the Laura Palmer case but one I think one of the most key scenes for both Briggs and Cooper is actually after Leland's death when they're all outside trying to unwind of like what really happened.
1: That scene is maybe my favorite scene of the series.
0: There's that part where they're trying to explain of like this whole thing about Leland where they still can't comprehend what really happened and the thing is that there's a not a contentious interaction but there's definitely a disagreement with Cooper and Briggs Because with Major Briggs, he talks about how there's so much more in the world that does it really matter to understand the evil? And then Cooper has like this almost like, I wouldn't say offended, but you could tell that it rubs him the wrong way, that he views it as his duty to make sure that he sets all this right. The thing I think about is that I feel like Cooper has more of a tunnel vision on what is the right thing compared to Briggs.
1: Absolutely. And that's probably Cooper's kind of fatal flaw is his tunnel vision.
0: I know people feel very strongly about Cooper, especially when you get to part 17, but I always viewed it that he just doesn't really get a larger picture. Like he sees a big picture, but not the larger picture. And in the case of Briggs, I mean, you know, we'll get into like, I guess the flaws of the secret history, but it seems like he has a more of a firm grasp that there's a something more cosmic that it's beyond his comprehension. And it's whether it's his faith or how he, how he handles himself, that I feel like he at least has a better mindset than Cooper in this regard.
1: Although, you know, going back to his relationship with Bobby, that broader view may have hurt his relationship with his son because he was only looking at the bigger picture, and so he's only looking at the macro and maybe not giving the micro as much attention as it might have needed.
0: One of the things I overlooked when I was talking about the interaction with um, Major Briggs and Dougie Milford at the end of The Seeker History is that Briggs explicitly says that the death of Laura Palmer is the thing that kind of led to this introspection of, I need to be be there for my son and it kind of comes back to when the log lady says in both the first log lady intro and part 10 that Laura is the one where she's the one that kind of sets him on this path to you know it's we already had we're already talking about like a man who's already great and has a lot of great accomplishments but Laura is like the one that actually led to him realizing that he had us to make things right with his son and of course where we see Bobby in season three that's a trajectory that is honestly you know works out for both you know Garland Briggs and Bobby
1: Correct. Yeah, I agree. And I also agree that it was Laura that set that trajectory because it was one, kind of a, a metaphorical slap in the face, kind of a bringing him down to earth or up from the earth to kind of focus on, on, on again, on the micro rather than the macro.
0: One of the things I think people do collectively like is when Cooper and Briggs, they're going out fishing. And uh, of course, you know, I I love seeing Don Davis and Kyle on screen at any moment when they're there. But the thing that stands out is that this is where we're first introduced to definitely the White Lodge. And uh, that there's a larger mythos at work. Of course, Major Briggs is the first one to really point this out to Cooper. And also, we get the likely not coincidental of the sign of the owl and then the disappearance of Briggs.
1: That 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 scene that scene uh, made me afraid of owls. I mean, not really.
0: I still can't go over the fact that Alex Jones, of all people, was the one that had the interview to confirm that the owls were all Mark Frost. Which, I, you know, when you read the Mark Frost books, in retrospect, that makes a lot of sense. I will never go over the fact that it was an Alex Jones interview that basically confirmed everything about the owls.
1: I d- actually didn't know that. This is something I'm learning today.
0: Yeah, there was a 2018 interview where Alex Jones was actually talking with David Lynch. He's like, hey, what are the owls about? He thinks that there's something more occultic about it. And we can debate the merits on another time. But the thing is that Lynch, he actually brought up how... The owls, he has no idea what they are, that that was all Mark Frost. Yeah, it wasn't even collaborative, it was just Mark Frost just had that idea right out of the gate. And the last page of The Secret History, the very last page, it says, The owls may indeed not be what they seem, but they still serve an imperative function. They remind us to look into the darkness. So yeah, that's uh, I, I think that for Mark Frost, for him to be the sole creator of the Owls, at least the Owls mythos of Twin Peaks, and for him to have that be the final page of a book of this magnitude, he does a great job of explaining it, but also never fully explain it and still leave it up to you
1: in a way that makes you feel like he knows what
0: the owls are. I don't know if you read Conversations with Mark Frost.
1: I have not, and I need to. David Bushman's gonna kill me for not having read it, but I have not yet.
0: One of the things that he points out is, I thought this was like the silliest thing ever when I heard of it, but Mark Frost talked about how the owls were originally gonna be what were effectively aliens watching over the people of Twin Peaks, and I remember when I first read that, I thought, wow, that is like the worst idea I've ever heard. And I was like, thank God they never went through with that. It was on an episode of Twin Peaks Unwrapped where Ben and Brian, they had a an occult expert, Nathan Miller. And he talked about how UFOs, that owls would actually be like an outlet that would be used. I was like, okay, Mark Frost does know what he's talking about because you look at the secret history and he clearly has done his fair amount of research on a lot of different facets of history. Obviously, he's very well spoken and highly intelligent. So it made me think, I was like, you know, on the surface, the idea of aliens being owls is a really silly concept. But also, he wouldn't have put that in there if he didn't think that there was something to it. That there would be, you know, that there's something that like really inspired him to do that.
1: I mean I I can see that you know owls are mostly out at night they have the big eyes they apparently are not particularly intelligent but they have the mythos of the the wise old owl they've got superb vision so yeah I I can I can see that being uh, an interesting idea I mean, it's kind of what I felt about the owls at the time when I was watching. They felt very, the Twin Peaks owls felt very alien.
0: On the topic of Major Briggs, now that he's gone missing, it does say a lot about the town, about how they react to it. Because you get people like higher up than him that talk about how this is like a grave concern. And then on the other end, you get like Betty and Bobby Briggs where They kind of just accept that he goes missing every now and then. And they just also accept that he'll just return one way or another.
1: Yeah, but when he does return, they both seemed extremely relieved. Like, they weren't sure that this was the same as other times.
0: The scene where he returns, there's a lot to unpack in terms of what's in that scene and the secret history. And uh, I, I know that directors, they weren't allowed to change one word of dialogue, but they were allowed to do anything visually is that there's a white owl lamp that Betty Briggs is sitting next to, and that happens to be on, like, when Major Briggs returns. I just thought that was a nice touch, and to be fair, I thought in some cases the original series that the directors, they didn't quite, I mean, to be fair, no one understands the owls, but they always had their own way of working it into it, and I I always thought that even if it wasn't explicitly Lynch and Frost, that they added a really cool touch to it. So I always thought that was worth mentioning, but... The return that of major briggs that night is totally different than what we see in it because you know in the original series we just see him just return just basically apri out of thin air but in the secret history he talks about how he returns to the woods he gets a drink of water and he walks home i don't know if you had any particular thoughts about that because i kind of took it as that maybe it just seemed right to him like maybe this is what he remembers and that he's he can only remember so much because he was in a different plane of existence more or less
1: yes i agree because he you know he he didn't really remember what happened in the show so yeah i think very much he probably has memories that are unreliable whether you know and we don't know which memories are the correct ones because he was in a, a different plane and we know that he ends up in that plane of existence later for a long
0: time one of the things i think of with contradictions in the seekers i mean there's when you talk about contradictions there's so many ways to pull the thread but i think a lot of it and of course people talk about the unreliable narrator and i'll say the same thing that i would say i mentioned about laura in my episode is that Laura and Major Briggs, while totally different, are both clearly intelligent people. And so if they get something wrong, I feel like there's a certain factor going on. Like whether it's like a certain information they have or in the case of Briggs where there's just certain things that's, uh, that he may he might not just not know. Like, of course, there's the infamous part with Pete Martel where they talk about how he talks about how he's a simple man who only plays checkers and not chess. And the other one is that in the case of Hank, he gets his fate half wrong where in The Secret History, he talks about how he was caught up with the Jean Renault sting, uh, the one that had the shootout. But then, of course, in the series, we get Nadine, who actually takes him out. So he gets the stuff kind of right, but also he doesn't know everything going on. Uh, it, it, so there's uh, there's just a lot to think about just in terms of, like, why he would get it wrong or whether it's, like, different realities. Because you know, with what he's dealing with, it's just totally different than what most people in Twin Peaks deal with. So there's just so many factors of why he would misremember something or get something wrong.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he's, like you said, then this kind of brings it back into that broader worldview is that he's looking more at the the larger picture and perhaps because of that gets some of the details incorrect.
0: Since we're actually back to when he returns, this is the part where we talk about how Major Briggs and the Log Lady, where they explain their marks, because the Log Lady, she has her mark on the back of her leg, and then Major Briggs has his on, like, I believe the back of his ear. And, uh, yeah, so, so... Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of behind the ear. He wasn't one of the kids that disappeared with Margaret. There's definitely a certain commonality. And, of course, the the age difference is also maybe not radically different, but it's different enough. So it's uh, it seems like it wouldn't be right that he would have been there.
1: So I like his relationship with the log lady because, you know, the their original interaction when she tells him to deliver the message, I love that scene as well. Are you proud? And the fact that he was much more accepting of taking the information from the log than other people because Cooper kind of blew that opportunity early on, but Briggs was perfectly willing to to listen to what the log had to say.
0: Out of all the people in Twin Peaks, I would say that Major Briggs and Hawk were probably the ones who were most open by far. And it kind of works out that Cooper happened to be friends with the two of them. So I mean, even though Cooper did blow his chances, he, he at least had the right friends who would get that information and they could do what they will with it.
1: And eventually Cooper's mind opened up more, but at that point he's like, uh, no, I, I can't hear your log. But I love the, the interaction, and when she asks, do you understand, and he says he does, and then that leads, obviously, to the scene with Cooper and the
0: printout. I'm not sure if this is worth mentioning, but you look at the symbols that Margaret and Garland Briggs have, and there's something where it's like, at one spot, it's perfectly symmetrical. Like right down the middle, both of them are symmetrical. And the thing is that like reflections are such like an important part of Twin Peaks that maybe it's just one of those things that's so obvious no one brings it up. But I just think there's something about like them having these symmetrical marks that makes it extra special compared to if it wasn't.
1: Uh, Yeah. Oh, for sure. And. Reflections and doubles and all of that, it definitely is such a huge part of, of Twin Peaks. Um, and the way the, the symbols fit together is also interesting, although it's symmetrical side to side, not top to bottom, but definitely in the, like, the way a reflection would be.
0: This is part where we kind of bring up how Major Briggs is captured by Wyndham Earle. One of the things that uh, my big standout was that he talks about how his one fear is that love is not enough. Because, you know, for the big thing with Briggs, that faith is a huge component. Like, And I'm going to come back to when he t- talks with Dougie Milford at the end of Secret History. Is that they're mostly on the same page. But the thing that I think they somewhat clash about is that... Briggs views that faith is the final barrier of entry to understanding the world and then Dougie Milford is not on that page at all so for Briggs to point out that he fears that love isn't enough I've actually viewed that as that he's actually worried that maybe what he's been doing this whole time is actually not working at all uh I don't know maybe I'm looking too far into it
1: right well yeah I mean if the fact that faith and kind of you know love is sort of a also a a nebulous concept like faith those are the things that he's basically lived by so the fact that that's his biggest fear is telling you know he's he's saying maybe all of these things that i've worked for worked believing maybe maybe that's not right Maybe that's not enough.
0: And this is coming back once again to the Briggs and uh, Dougie Milford interaction. Is that he refers to his parents as being Catholic, but also Bohemian at heart. So when you mention that he has this nebulous view of love, that there is something to that, where he's very clearly a man of order in one way, but also because even in the same chapter he talks about how he always tries to make sure he has his own independent sense of mind as well. Because you know, if, if he was a type of person who just blindly followed authority he wouldn't be the same person that we see in the show. And definitely not as well liked if that was the type of person he was as well.
1: Well, and I think that's one of the things that I didn't like about him early on is that he seemed to be very much, much more rigid than he comes across later. He very much seemed like he was strictly black and white, right and wrong. And there was was no middle ground, no discussion, no nothing. And then as he's developed, we see more and more of the nuance of his character, as opposed to just being this guy who just follows the rules and expects everybody else to.
0: The next part we can go with is that after he says love is not enough, this is the only time Leo Johnson really does anything good is when he sets Major Briggs free, or he's found by Hawk. And then when they bring him back to the sheriff station, I remember on my rewatch, I pause it to make sure I wrote this down in case I forgot, is that they say Garland and he says, Judy Garland.
1: I didn't notice that. <laughs>
0: The first time I watched it, it just completely went over my head. Because I know that Lynch, he has a love for Wizard of Oz. So I thought, you know, by this point, it seems like Lynch was kind of getting back in the show. So I thought maybe that was it. But I remember I was like, even... I mean, they didn't really have Judy ironed out at this time. Like, not even close. But it is one of those things where it retroactively fits in to such like a perfect level.
1: Yeah, I never, I've never. i watched it so many times, I never noticed that. Like, I never made the connection. I'm sure I heard it, but I never made that connection.
0: And the thing is that they bring this up, or Goran Cole, moreover, brings this up in season three, is that him, Major Briggs, and Del Cooper basically discuss a contingency plan of what we would do, you know, to basically take care of Judy. And of course, you know, it's uh, that was probably a plot thread that was more so to wrap up everything about Major Briggs in season three, but it was a very interesting connection that the only time those three would ever be in a room together would be not long after this scene. So again, it's another thing that feels like it just fits in extraordinarily perfectly.
1: Yeah, no, that's very cool. I'm gonna have to actually go back and watch that scene uh specifically to find i feel like
0: this is going to kind of set a tone for once we get to like post season two definitely season three of major briggs because once we get to season three it is probably one of the most confounding parts i could think of trying to make sure i had my notes in a cohesive manner because when you see briggs's body in season three i mean you can kind of get the ideas out but there's so much going on around it that it just, it, it's just so hard to kind of like wrap your mind around it completely.
1: And I know when we talked uh, before this podcast and before I rewatched season three, you had mentioned that you had sort of forgotten how important Briggs was to the return. And I found the same thing when I did my rewatch. I was like, wow, kind of just if you had asked me just off the top of my head, he, you know, my head <laughs> is his missing head. Um... <laughs> The the things I remembered were finding his body and his body floating by in the that kind of outer spacey space. And I didn't really think a whole lot more oh and and him leaving the Jackrabbit Palace. But he's really, really important throughout the entire series and is brought up many times and at least to that part of the thread. You know the, the whole albert uh tammy gordon thing he he's very
0: key and this is where it starts becoming about like judy and uh, the doppelganger the next promising i have listed down is the season two finale which i'm pretty sure was written in by david lynch at the last second where he's sitting at the double r diner with betty and then dr jacoby comes in with sarah the first thing we i think of is that we only see close-ups of grace of and don davis so when you hear that, like, malevolent voice coming from Sarah Palmer, it seems like Major Briggs, he kind of just accepts it like he was almost waiting for this to happen, and we don't really know what Dr. Jacoby or Betty Briggs or anyone else in the Double R Diner is thinking for that matter, but Briggs is taking this very seriously, because I'm not sure it it's worth mentioning, but when this says, I am waiting for you, and it shows the interior of the Black Lodge, I'm pretty sure that's actually Wyndham Earl's voice. I remember thinking for the longest time, I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's like the man from another place, or maybe it's Judy by some extension but i wasn't sure if any thoughts about who the voice was coming from or what briggs's major takeaway was before we move on to the mark cross books in season three
1: so i think that at the time i definitely think it was winda merle because i think at the time they weren't thinking further but like you said you know looking back at things retroactively and making them fit i kind of like thinking it was judy because it makes the whole Sarah as Judy a little bit less out of nowhere because that that definitely seemed an odd turn to me in season three. But, so yes, I think my guess is at the time they meant that to be Wyndham but I like the idea of retroactively that it was judy or maybe judy through wyndham earl or something like that
0: i guess this is my part where i'm going to try to explain how i view wyndham earl and judy before i move on to more major briggs is that i think in the case of wyndham earl i think that once he got into the black lodge he was tapping into stuff that really no other mortal person could at that point and I think that's why one of the reasons why Bob like emerges when he does to basically take his soul, where that was like the thing that was way too far for him. I think in the case of Sarah Palmer, I think of like where she was at at Leland's wake and how no none of the characters even like visit her or she was referenced for at least twelve episodes. So I thought like anything could happen to Sarah Palmer in like this complete absence because at least after Laura Palmer's death, there were people checking in on. Sarah and Leland and for that matter Maddie was there as well but in the case of Maddie's death and Leland's death no one went to check up on Sarah so I thought like anything could happen to her so when I saw that she was possessed if you will at the season two finale I was like oh well with all these beloved forces in Twin Peaks and combined with all this terrible stuff that happened to Sarah leading up to that point I mean I couldn't obviously I couldn't fully explain it but I wasn't uh, at least on my end I wasn't too surprised by it
1: no um agreed and and I mean, from the very very beginning, Sarah was kind of all over the place and and you know with her with her visions and everything, so that that in and of itself wasn't surprising but the the complete turn of her, particularly in the bar scene in uh season three seemed very not the Sarah Palmer from the first season except when you take that scene into account
0: well now that you're playing with the bar scene i do get where you're coming from because that does that seem like even the realm of have, have an evil lane dormant there is something inherently just very what seems off the mark if you will where sarah palmer was even in early on in season three to killing a trucker now that we both like we're pretty firmly established with major briggs in the original series and we both have our stances on judy out there It's probably good to bring up like what was in the final dossier just because chronologically this is what at least the Major Briggs chapter takes place afterwards is that at some point Mr. C does visit Major Briggs at home and Tammy at least deduces that it seems like Briggs was picked up on the idea that this was not Cooper but it was like a doppelganger but also he didn't really bring it up at all. And after he leaves, he just kind of quietly just goes up to Blue Pine Mountain to either secure all data, destroy all data, take care of any classified technology. And one of the things is that Tammy, she does wonder if the uh, ransacking was staged or if Mr. C actually did show up or even if uh, Major Briggs was actually killed at that point, because at least in season three, I think it was Bobby that talks about how... The day after there was a fire in Blue Pine Mountain and they just never saw him again. And I thought that, okay, maybe Mr. C actually did kill him. But there's a lot of other stuff in the dossier and even stuff maybe in season three that seems like it would suggest otherwise. I just wasn't sure if you had any thoughts on anything post season two with Major Briggs.
1: My supposition was not that he was killed, but that he was taken. And whether uh, Mr. C had anything to do with that, I'm not sure. But he was, I think he was definitely taken and put into the, the lodge space. Because, you know, obviously when his body was found, it hadn't aged. And it hadn't shown that he had been dead for 25 years. So he was somewhere. And Bill Hastings. And the librarian? Oh, it's Davenport. Okay, so when they saw him, that was decades later, and they saw him, and it sounds like Ruth and Major Briggs were killed at the same time, and they brought back one body and one head and left the rest behind. So I definitely didn't get the impression that Mr. C killed him, but that maybe Mr. C had something to do with him ending up someplace else and sort of in a stasis for all those years. I'm
0: glad you brought up the thing about Bill Hastings and Ruth Davenport because this kind of opens up two different, I guess two uh, different questions is that with Briggs's car, it was found in a nearby canyon not long after the fire of Blue Pine Mountain and his teeth were placed nearby. And Tammy, she puts out that she thinks that it was staged. And my thing is that there's an unidentified corpse in the car. I think that Major Briggs does not seem like, you know, this isn't like Hank where he would kill a vagrant just to try to get out of trouble. No, Uh, no. And the things that like with Major Briggs, you don't really get an indication that his teeth are removed in season three. So I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts on anything about this, because it, a lot of this just doesn't seem like it adds up. Like it seems like it would be weird to lie about, but it also doesn't make sense to me
1: so absolutely don't think he would have killed a vagrant too I, I think that that was more more than likely Mr C that did that and whether it was to cover up his own misdeeds or just to misdirect generally I don't know but the teeth yeah you're right that doesn't really add up I'm trying to remember do you remember if it said all of his teeth or just some I think teeth? it was
0: just some of his teeth maybe it could have just been one tooth like in the event that Brits did do this that could be debatable But there's just a lot of questions surrounding this part because it doesn't outright contradict Briggs, but it also just doesn't ring true to me.
1: No, I I don't I can't picture Briggs leaving his teeth behind with a dead body. That doesn't add up to me. Maybe he and Mr. C got into some sort of physical altercation and he lost a tooth or something, but no, it it does not add up to me that Briggs would kill someone or even use somebody's body and leave his teeth behind. I it doesn't add up to me on a number of levels. I don't think he would have done that to his Wife and son, even protectively I, I I definitely that definitely feels more Mr. C to me, but again, I don't think Mr. C killed him in like a physical way, but i do I do think Mr. C probably had something to do with him being sent to the other space I either Mr. C sent him or mis- or he went there to flee from Mr. C.
0: The latter is actually kind of what i think of this come back to bill hastings and ruth davenport is that they said that they were contacted by the major or at least that's what uh bill hastings says to tammy in season three that he found him basically hiding slash hibernating and they were tasked to find the coordinates that mr c is after in season three and they succeed uh so when they return for a second time this is where I believe it's Ruth and Major Briggs were killed and decapitated. I kind of got the sense that you know that portal that we see in oh, I forget which part it is, but it's the one that Gordon Cole almost goes into. I imagine that. Yes,
1: it was that same that that same episode that that Hastings was smushed.
0: Yeah, I think that what I, if I had a guess is that I, I forgot. If it, I think it's Tammy that also says this that she thinks that the double was waiting for Bill, Ruth, and Major Briggs. This is the part where I would disagree. I think it's the woodsman, like maybe the in the case of Briggs, that he was e- about to like step away, if you will, and only the head got back through. But yeah, as for Ruth, but because she's like clearly mortal, or at least no, she's there's nothing really omnipresent about her that that would just kill her instantly. And I, I guess it's also worth mentioning is that the quote unquote the secret history, the actual document that like, that the book is based off of. I believe that said that that is given to Bill and Ruth to analyze. So I'm not sure if that was also worth mentioning just because if that kind of deduces what the doc, what the secret history really is or how to interpret it. I know that's, that's quite a loaded thing to put out there uh, on top of everything about Bill Hastings.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting.
0: What I have is that in the beginning of the secret history, it says that this was a dossier that was handmade and contained in a... Con- a custom protective box that was tough for the fbi to crack open and then there's a few other parts where they start talking about like how they discovered it but uh the things that major briggs took great lengths to hide this the way people view it uh view the secret history whether you know whether they dismiss it or they think it's um doctored documents i think the fact that he gives it to bill and ruth is at least indicative of in some way assuming that you know that part in the final dossier gets that right
1: yeah well and and the fact that he reached out that he contacted them in any way is definitely interesting i mean clearly he wanted to keep the information hidden but he eventually needed it for needed for it to come out same thing with giving betty the note or hiding the note in the chair for for bobby and that
0: vision and i think this is another idea of how major breaks can tap into something quite profound is that do you ever notice the dates when bobby does open it no so the uh dates are october 1st and october 2nd and the thing is that with uh, it says ten one and 10-2 and my biggest takeaway is that lynch even in part 16 or part 17 where it's explicitly stated in a letter from cooper that 10 is the number of completion and also there's something about duality about like these two different dates the number 10 and and also two dates that makes me think that there's something very profound about what happens in part 14 when they do go to jack rabbit's palace
1: yeah that that whole sequence like the whole sequence of events from getting that note to going to jack rabbit's palace was i i thought very interesting i loved i loved bobby's reaction to all of it and the connection that it all made to his dad like and again this talks about bobby's growth being, you know, that pivotal moment with his dad, and and leading to Bobby's growth, but you know when he realizes what Jack Rabbit's Palace was, and that he knew how to open the mechanism to get to the note, I, I can. Still, I can just picture that the look on Bobby's face when both times when he said, I know what to do, I know what to do, and the connection that to me it was all of that, that whole from the beginning to end was my dad's talking to me from beyond the grave and I'm hearing it. And my, I can almost see him looking back at that diner scene and saying, You know, my dad did tell me this that this was going to be the case, and he knew, he knew. He knew from the beginning that this was my course and he knew that this would happen. And as, you know, as someone who's lost a parent who would love the idea of getting a message from beyond, and I don't believe that that is a, a thing that's possible, but the idea of it is just so cool, and just the the look on his face, I could I could just kind of see his his uh, brain rewinding to all those little things that happened, and and saying, yeah, my this is this is my dad. He knew me. He knew me better than I know me. And I just thought that was really beautiful
0: outside of bobby seeing the laura palmer photo i would say that all that about him having those realizations around parts 13 and 14 are probably my favorite parts of dana ashbrook's performance and not just season three but all of twin peaks
1: all all of twin peaks yeah it was it was just and again like i said as, as someone who has lost a parent i can i can just totally see that in his face that it's been long enough that when I think of my dad, I don't, I'm not sad anymore. I think of my dad and I smile. And this is definitely, you know, where I am personally like in in my relationship to my late mother is I've reached the point where things that might have made me sad in the past now just make me happy and i could see that in his face and i love i love the idea that briggs could see all of those things in his son even when his son was really not a great guy
0: i guess that's the thing is that there's that like unconditional love that a parent has and again i know we mentioned before about where briggs was at major briggs was at and bobby briggs were around season one that they weren't really on the same page but yeah, I never really had a sense that, even at their worst, that they would ever like disavow each other or anything like that.
1: No, I never thought that either. I always, I didn't either. I mean, because Bobby especially early season 1 his he definitely just had that air of jerky rebellious teenager like i never really got totally evil vibes from him and his interaction with his parents definitely seemed in on par with that like he was being rebellious he wasn't listening to them his his parents didn't understand him and that's why that the diner scene was so great because it, i definitely Got the impression that a lot of teenagers think, you know, my parents don't get me. They don't understand me. They don't believe in me. So I'm just going to act this way. And at that point, when that diner scene, when his dad sort of affirmed that, I see that there's more in you than your current behavior, I see good things for you. And I think that that kind of made Bobby see that as well. And that sort of larger parental influence gave Bobby a, a kind of a mirror to his, his potential.
0: I know we mentioned it before, but it does reaffirm the idea of the whole Laura is the one, despite the fact that she went through this beyond horrific thing, that it did set off a, a lot of good things with, at least with Major Briggs and Bobby where they kind of had that introspection of how to deal with their lives from that point on. Maybe it wasn't overnight, but they could work through it together.
1: It was a, it was a turning point, for sure. And it also seems to have affected Bobby's relationship with his mother, which was, I don't think, as um, contentious as it was with his dad. But his mother clearly didn't know what to do with him. And he clearly didn't respect his mother in any way. And by the time we see them in season three, they've clearly got a, a really great relationship relationship and so that definitely seemed to be a pivot point for the entire Briggs family
0: uh, I will say though is that there's that scene where in season two it's right before major Briggs returns when uh Bobby and Betty they have that interaction and you can tell that even though yeah, I was mentioned before is that they do accept that he goes missing that there's some different with Betty this time where she's like talking about how she basically like misses certain aspects of him yeah that was another great scene is that yeah charlotte stewart i know that betty briggs isn't in the series a whole lot but the scenes she's in especially that scene in the one season three she really makes it count relative to the type of person betty is her relationships uh yeah she's it was i thought that was absolutely a great way to showcase all the Briggs in one scene
1: yeah no for sure yeah but i like we were talking that i love the that whole storyline of from getting the message from Briggs, you know, from the time they all walk into Betty's house, sort of the culmination of that story. I just thought that that was, again, like the sort of the joy of having your parent reach out to you from beyond the grave in a way, like not physically reaching out, but saying, hey, you know, my, my dad knew me well enough to know that I would get this and that shows that in spite maybe of Briggs's absence from the family his physical absence that he very much was in tune with his son ultimately and and really didn't you know whether it was because he knew his son or that vision inspired him but he really knew that Bobby's trajectory was going to be very different from what it had been so far
0: oh actually the one thing I will point out is the ring uh, sorry, I'm, stu- I'm so glad that I made sure I bring this up. The uh, what? Do you have any explanations uh, of, like, what you think of the ring? The Dougie Jones uh, love from Janie E ring?
1: Right, the in his stomach, yeah. The only thing I can think of, and I'm trying to recall timing now.
0: It's definitely when Gordon Cole, Albert, and Tammy go to find the body. I would say it's more than halfway. Right,
1: right, right. No, I'm just trying to remember... When Dougie, the doppel Dougie, goes back to the lodge, that was after Briggs' body was found.
0: It's around, I believe, part three that the Dougie Jones, uh, I guess, the quote unquote the real Dougie Jones, uh, disappears off. But yeah, the Major Briggs body is somewhere within parts one and two.
1: So I was gonna, I was going to say that you know maybe when Dougie ended up in the lodge somehow, that was before Briggs left. La- Briggs's body left, and that how that happened but no that that timeline doesn't really work except if you look at the fact that when they filmed they filmed it in a way that was not necessarily linear like i I remember hearing or reading that they said that you could air them in the parts out of order and it would still make as much sense so you know maybe timey-wimey stuff is is the, the explanation for that but yeah no i don't i don't really have any good reason other than plot furtherance to put Dougie Jones's ring in the in the major stomach
0: believe it or not this ring was a primary reason of why I wanted to wait to make sure I was able to write my thoughts down is that they talk about how Mr. C where of course he comes out of Black Lodge and then the Dougie Jones Tolpa, at least according to the Fusco brothers emerged only from 1997 so we're talking about a good eight years after the event you know I'll save a lot of that for a Dougie Jones Tolpa episode but I will say that I think that Mr. C kept himself in close contact with the Dougie Jones Tulpa and in fact like reached a point where once the Dougie Jones Tulpa got married to Janie E that he actually just basically switched the ring and basically like strong armed him into to make sure he had it just so 25 years later that the Dougie Jones Tulpa would make its way into the Black Lodge and, and Mr. C wouldn't. And I think that he switches the rings, uh, if I had to guess, Mr. C would find a way to put that into brakes when the decapitated body is left behind. So I think that he might have held on to it just so, once someone figured out the ring, that they would just basically, if the Dougie Jones tope was still around, that they would arrest him and not Mr. C.
1: And track kind of false evidence.
0: It sounds like more explainable, but... When you watch season three and you take all this stuff from the Mark Frost books into context, it is very hard to put a lot of stuff together because even though they do present information and unfold everything about Major Briggs' body in a really interesting manner season three, there's a lot where it's like, they'll start to explain one thing and then just replaces it with another question.
1: And you know I think that that your alternate timelines theory can be put to good use explaining a lot of those inconsistencies.
0: Obviously no one will ever be able to fully understand Twin Peaks or to explain it. But I feel like if it's- if it's something that rings true to you, then that'll go a long way and might actually help open the door to explain other aspects. That's the thing is that with Major Briggs, I want to make sure when I got on this episode that I was able to have all this stuff as readily available as possible because I would say all of all the episodes I've done, this is probably the most complex one I did in terms of research.
1: And I I applaud you for that because I didn't do enough research. In all fairness,
0: the fact that you've read The Secret History four times feels like this was an overnight thing for you. That's why I actually thought you were like the best choice to be for the Major Briggs episode because... I knew that if someone can read through the secret history, because as time has gone on, I realize a lot of people don't like the Mark Frost book. Mostly the final dossier, but I do see a lot of people even just straight up disavow them. I mean, who knows, maybe it's people that are just being loud about it or, you know, everyone has their own reasons. And I actually did research at the time of this recording about Nadine, and I will say that that, uh, all that research actually was more raised more questions than answers in a way that was actually not rewarding oh my gosh yes like it, it, it felt more frustrating yeah. than it was because at least with Lynch he leaves stuff on a very esoteric level where you can always think about it in the case of the Nadine stuff in the secret history all I could think was like this just makes no sense I I don't even know if I can explain it makes this. No, yeah
1: a lot of it so so no I, I do get it but you know so my you know people will ask me what I thought of season three like in comparison to seasons one and two and i mean so i watched seasons one and two when they originally aired so i had a very strong nostalgic feeling for what they were and i expected that to come back in season three and it didn't so that was a little jarring but once i sort of decided that season three is its own thing fire walk with me is its own thing seasons one and two are their own thing the books are their own thing and they all kind of touch each other but if i try to appreciate any one of them compared to the other it becomes more difficult but i can love all of them for what they are
0: i might provide a link to this after i release this episode but um on pbs back in 2016 mark frost was promoting the secret history and one of the things he talked about is that even though him and lynch they do make a great team there's a lot of times where they're not always on the same page with each other like, for example, oh, for yeah, you sure. look at Fire Walk With Me, that is like Lynch from top to bottom. And naturally, the books, that is Mark Frost from top. And of course, there was collaboration, at least maybe on a subconscious level, uh, maybe less so Fire Walk With Me, but, you know, there was conversations that they had that sparked their creativity. But yeah, that's the thing is that uh, you, I think that's why I like talking about Twin Peaks so much is that it's not just like Lynch where we can un- unfold and analyze from his perspective we also have mark frost that's not even going to all the other writers for the original series or producers um it, there's a lot of people that you know put out their feelings about it and uh it's a it's a lot of fun to you know go through and talk about it with people
1: i, I mean frost and lynch seem to be they have they have some things in common but i think that they are perfect foils for one another And I think that it was kind of the combination of the two of them that that was the magic uh, formula that made Twin Peaks the thing that we know and love. And I know it's very much thought of as a Lynchian product, but so much of it was Frostian. And um, I think that... Had it been either one of them, it wouldn't have been as great. I think it was that, that alchemy of the two of them that really made it yeah, work. Yeah, you see the
0: way how people talk about the original series, and then you got people who maybe don't care much for Firewalk Me, or you got people who don't care for much of the books, or people that don't care much for season three in some cases. But yeah, there's something about the spark that they had in the original series that really set this all off for people. And uh, I mean, I, I have my conditional statements for some stuff. If I had to pick one, probably the file dossier. I'll save that for another video video but yeah there's something about just the way those two collaborate and then the trickle-down effect that's always appealed to me
1: yeah for sure and there there's again I'll, i'll use the term alchemy again like they were just the two plus two equaled five with them it was gordon said something like that at one point right two plus two doesn't always equal four trying to remember the circumstances i think it was it was season two i think when he came into town after Coop was shot and they were having a converse and I can't remember the exact, but he said something like two plus two doesn't always equal four. And I think that that was the case with Lynch and Frost. Like I think that their two plus two definitely equaled five.
0: This is actually the final note. And I think it's Major Briggs brings up his reigns that Douglas Milford, by the time he married Lana, that was his fifth wife, and I was thinking, is that um, when he talks about four divorces, I was like, Mark Frost throwing shade at Lynch. Like, it was there a period where they're just kind of like making jabs at each other. <laughs> just some that just uh, I wrote down. I was like, I, I and I wrote down the exact words. Was Douglas Milford's four divorces Frost jab to Lynch? Of all the stuff they wrote down, I'm surprised that that one stuck around.
1: Or a, a jab, or maybe just a reference.
0: I, anyways, I'll save that for another time, but i've said everything about major briggs did you have any final thoughts about the character or secret history or anything pertaining to him
1: my only the only thought i have remaining is is more of an emotional one i wish we could have seen don davis alive and
0: well in season three even just in the season two finale it seems like i know that twin peaks doesn't out barring dale cooper and sheriff truman they don't necessarily have main characters but I feel like if uh, there was a 1991 season three on ABC, Briggs would have been the third one below or like something more central to it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, they were definitely building, they definitely appeared to be building to that. And it would have been, yeah, he he's one of the characters that I really missed being there because he was not alive at the time unfortunately we have way too many of them now um so many since the return but he was the one that i he and and sheriff truman i felt their absences probably more than than any so i would have loved to have seen an alive and well don davis reprising major briggs in season three
0: i just want to thank you for coming on because i thought this was a great conversation
1: my pleasure
0: like I said before, with someone who read through the Secret History four times, uh, I couldn't think of a better person for an episode of this undertaking.
1: I don't know. I might have told you the story about just sort of when I got the Secret History. So I don't I don't read a lot because I have a bad neck and back. So I don't read physical books very much because it's just hard for me. And that was the case by the time the book came out, so I got it on audio. Then I realized listening to the audio that there's a lot of stuff that you I should be looking at. So I downloaded it on my Kindle so that I could physically look at it. And I was like, now this is really cool. I need to have a physical copy of it. So the physical book. And I know I told you a few weeks ago when I was during fourth episode, I left the book on my table and my dog ate it. So a friend of mine gave me her a copy from the library that they were getting rid of so i am i have uh, a torn up physical copy i have a kindle copy i have the audiobook, and i have a nice library bound copy so i have more copies of this book than probably any other book oh, wow. i own thank you so oh. much colin i appreciate oh, it and uh i'm looking forward to seeing your face
0: in real life oh yeah oh thank you but until then hope you have a good rest of the day stacy
1: thanks. thanks forever